Minute Podcast for May 16th, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. On this week's show, we'll discuss accessing REST APIs over SMS, wrestling with Google chatbots, confusion about the HTML5 audio tag, and so much more. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello? Anyone home? There we go. How's that? Ah, much better. Yeah, I hit it on um, line in instead of microphone. That'll do it. Oops. (laughs) I haven't been to bed yet, so. No, sir. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was I was working on working on Avalio that you know that little app we never talk about. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Until I think about five in the morning and. Um, I got my dad a Kindle Fire last night, mm. and so then, just as I was getting ready to go to bed, he he got on Instant Messenger and was was wanted to talk to me about that. So <laughs> he'd been he'd been up playing with it all nights too. So <laughs> wow, yeah, man, burning the midnight oil. I thought I was bad. Well, he worked night shift for eighteen years, so oh, so yeah. I used to do that, actually. It's a weird, weird world. I think it, it kind of fits my natural sleeping preferences better, but, of course, you know, you, you never get to see anyone. So. Right. Yeah, it's like a parallel universe. Yeah. It's different now that, I, you know, we work, both of us work from home, but when I was commuting to a, a third shift job in college, it was like, you might as well be on Mars or something. Yeah, it's a completely different completely different set of, of people and businesses and, and what have you yep but it definitely fits the vampire in me so yeah um avalio what a huge like leap forward in the last 24 hours yeah yeah we've done it's been a lot of a lot of fun stuff and a lot, a lot of really frustrating stuff too but right so Avalio is the mobile-friendly domain search, and I one of the things that um, you know we're sort of dedicated to is making apps that run everywhere. And and one of the things about Avalio that has been bothering me is that we hadn't kind of got it to that everywhere stage yet. It's very JavaScript heavy, uh, which limits it to a, a narrow segment of mobile browsers. Mm-hmm. And the 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 kind of fallback or the uh, the fallback for everybody else, I wanted to be SMS search, and and you got that working yesterday. Yeah, that was actually came together. The SMS came together really, really easily, really well. Yeah, you want to walk through the little components to that? There's really not a heck of a lot to it. No, there's not a lot to it at all. Um, basically, I, I just signed up for a, a Twilio account and got us a number. And then you go into the number configuration and you just set a callback URL. And whenever you get an SMS message, um, Twilio posts the data to that callback URL. And then the call the callback responds. The callback URL will do the do the search with the API and take the result and respond with that. Yeah, it just generates a little bit of XML output that then goes back to Twilio. And Twilio will take that and send, send the reply SMS. And uh, that's just just barely scratching the surface of all the things you can do with the API, the Twilio API, and what have you. But you still that's a that's a pretty powerful thing in and of itself, and it it just only takes a few lines of code and like maybe 
you know, an hour, an hour to set up if you've never done it before. I could, right. I could probably go in and, and do it now in like 10 minutes. Yeah. When we switched over, when I switched over to the different number, the more, what was it, 3A5 of Alio? When I switched over to that number, it took me literally under a minute. Yeah. You know, because, you know, you have that Ruby page set up to, or actually you did, you set up, you just added a, a route in the API for SMS, right? Right. Yeah. So the, the, this is the beauty of having an API first, I think, is that you get, I mean, it's just amazing how much flexibility you get where, you know, so many web developers will only consider the, um, the, the web client that they're building. So it's like almost almost you don't even think about well obviously i'm building a web app you know this api is for a web app but that's not really i don't i think that's small thinking like you should think about an api from the standpoint of you don't necessarily know what the client's going to be um, maybe the requirement is that you know it can operate over http or something like that but that's a much broader um much broader world to play in than plain old uh you know, like a JavaScript-based web browser. Right. Yeah, your API should be completely client agnostic. Right. So so to me, the SMS has always been, um, you know, SMS is like completely widespread. You know, dumb phones and smartphones and pretty much any phone has SMS if the, you know, the, 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 uh, the user might not have it enabled, you know, and there can be costs associated with it, obviously, but it's there everywhere. So if you have something that involves, to me, it's like a command line interface for an API that you can do over SMS. So everybody has connectivity to this network and can get access to this service. And really the only, the tricky part, I think, really is discoverability. Like how do people know about, how do people know that they can use it? How do people know what the phone number is? Right. And then uh, Avelio is a really good, simple example because you don't have to worry about things like authentication and rate limiting or what have you. And so, you know, for something like that, it, it just works perfectly. You just send it a text with the domain name and, and get the result back. Um, it, it would get a little bit trickier when you start having to deal with authentication. But at that point, too, you can also just, you know, associate an account, associate an account, a user account with, you know, with the phone number directly. Mm-hmm. Does something like a value allow you to spoof from numbers or is that is that pretty hard baked? Um dialing into a value or calling back from I, did I say value? I meant Twilio. So if if the uh if I was set up so let's say I wanted to uh this is probably something we have to look into. Uh if we do get to the point where we have authenticated APIs that are accessible via SMS. You know, it's kind of like the the reply to in an email that can be spoofed or the from can be spoofed. I wonder if there's a way to spoof the from phone number. I feel like there might be services that allow you to send SMS messages anonymously or, you know, there's certainly ones that allow you to send over the web that may not even have a phone number. I guess they would always have a phone number associated with them, but I guess... Um, as far as I can tell, all of the phone number information um, is taken directly from from the carrier when the call is received by Twilio. So I don't know that that would really be an easy thing to spoof. Right. I have a feeling it's not. And of course, there's the yeah. there's the other way around, which is um, you just have like a, a two factor thing where you you uh, 
as the user, you ping the API and before it, if it's like the first time, I'm not sure he would maintain a session, but if it's the first time, uh, then the API would SMS the phone number, the from phone number to make sure that it was the person who owns the phone. Cause it's not going to go back to there's, there can't be a way to spoof a two, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like a man in the middle attack for a phone. <laughs> yeah. That would be really, um, you know, unless you work for the phone company, I don't think that's going to be possible. Right. You know, you're, you might be able to climb up on a telephone pole and, and hook in your little thing, but mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> if, you know, if, if you go to that much trouble, as far as I'm concerned, you you deserve to, to know whether that domain name is available or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've earned it at that point. Exactly. So super exciting and all kinds of, um, it, it's so easy. It just opens up the possibility to like a massive global market with very little, it's very little code. I mean, just a, literally one line of configuration in your Twilio account. And I mean, maybe it was 10 lines or 20 lines in the, uh, in the uh, Sinatra app in the API itself. And that's mostly like, you know, branching for error checking and, and formatting a response. Right. Most of that, most of the app code, most of the code in the Sinatra app is actually dealing with doing the domain lookup. The actual code for Twilio, I think it's it's like three lines. Mm. It's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. It was like jumping up and down yesterday. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, and then we did the IM stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. So so, I think we started chatting around twelve thirty last night or so, and. At 3 a.m., I had to give up, and you were still going. Um, yeah, it was closer to 4. <laughs> Great. Explains why I'm we're both fresh as a daisy right now. Yeah. So the concept, I'll just describe the concept, and then you can kind of like, I'm, I'm dying to know what happened. Okay. Uh, how you figured it out. So, so the concept was that we wanted to be able to, we're both big IM users, and we wanted to be able to have like an Avalio bot available in your IM client and you just open up a new chat and text a, or not text, but IM a uh, domain name to it. And it lets you know if it's available or if it's not, we haven't set, we don't have it set up to have like a link directly to a registrar yet, but that would probably be cool. Yeah. Um, I haven't done it because I haven't figured out, um, some, some IM clients will support HTML and some don't. So whether you want like a, a, a fancy link title or just a long, you, you get a really long URL for some of the registration links and it can just look kind of messy. So good point. yeah, good point. But, uh, so that, that is definitely true. I noticed that my, my IM client, for example, does not support HTML and, uh, it automatically linkifies .coms, but not things like .cc or, or other domains. So. Yeah, I, I suppose we could do like some kind of URL shortener of our own that would then link to those to those registrars. Mm, that's not a bad idea. We could track it that way well, track it well that way too. Yeah, that would be cool. So that was the concept. How hard could it be, right? Just set up a, an IM bot, and uh, when it receives a message from someone, just run it through the API and send them back the results. Yeah. Uh, first, when I started doing some research on this, um, started searching for XMPP integration with Ruby. And immediately I noticed I wasn't able to find any examples or code really that was, that was newer than about 2009. Ah. 
so apparently this, this isn't done often or the XMPP protocol just hasn't changed much in the last several years. You know, who knows? But even, even the gems are two or three years old. Wow. Usually a bad sign. Yeah, yeah, I was I was worried from the start that I'd run into some problems there, mm -hmm. and I did. <laughs> <laughs> the The first examples that I kept coming across were using a gem called XMP, XMPP for our simple, and it showed a real a real neat small little simple script to set up a, an IM bot and what have you. So I I copied that over, installed the gems, tried to run it, and it turns out that that gem is not compatible with versions of Ruby later than. Uh, 1.8.7. Hmm. So at that point, there was there was a part of me that really wanted to just fork the gym and fix it. Right. But just I just I think it would be fun to do. But then there was another part of me that said I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so I started looking around for other alternatives, and then I found this gym called uh, Easy G Talk Bot. Right. Which turned out to just be a, a simple little wrapper on top of on top of another gem called just simply XMPP for R. Mm -hmm. And the the implementation of that looked really clean, really simple. So I set it up, set it up and I had it working. Um was using using my uh, a secondary Gmail account that I have. Yep. As the user and had it running locally and everything was great. It was working, it was stable. I don't know, I did it just worked. And when you say you had it running locally, it was just, it was it talking to a local copy of the API? I guess it doesn't matter. I'm just curious. No, it was, it was talking to the, the remote API. But the bot was running locally. Yeah. And the bot really, if it doesn't make sense to our listener, the, uh, I mean, the bot's just Ruby script that is kind of like running in a loop, right? Right. Yeah. So you like kick it off at the command line and it's just like going. Right. You start it up at the command line and it goes and it just, it sits there and listens for an XMPP messages on the on the port that Gtalk uses. Right. Yeah. So it logs into Gtalk under that account and it just sits there listening, waiting for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's some callbacks. So when a message is received, do this. Or when you receive a, a chat invite, and what have you. Mm. Um, but then we moved it to the production server and switched it to uh, to the Avalio user account that we had set up, mm -hmm. and it just would not stay connected. Yeah, that was frustrating. That's when I got mm -hmm. in there. So you like yeah, that's that's when you gave up and went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I couldn't I couldn't let it go. Yeah, it just it wouldn't stay connected, and a lot of times it would die without giving any kind of error message. The process would continue to run, but the bot would disconnect from from Google Talk, mm -hmm. and there would be no error messages or anything. And I finally, finally one time when it died for some reason, I don't know what was different about it, but I got an error message hmm. and it had something to do with, with the way did some research on it and had something to do with, with the way the, uh, the multi-threading was being handled and there were just collisions and conflicts and what have you in there. And I'm not even going to pretend to know enough about multi-threaded processes to get into that hmm. and talk about it. But apparently that was, that was what was going on. So finally, I just thought, you know what, all this gem is, is it's a wrapper that talks to, to this other gem. So I, you know, I just opened up the source code for, for the easy G talk bot gem yep. and went in and started, started picking apart the pieces, use it where it uses and 
talks directly to the XMPP for our gem. Mm. And I just, I pulled all of that code out and I ended up just writing, writing the whole thing, redoing it from scratch just to, to not use any other gems on top of the XMPP for our, I just went straight with it ah. and fired it up and it worked on the first try. Ah, weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, hooray for open source. Yeah, really. I, I think what the problem might have been, is I, I think because we had that wrapper layer there, mm -hmm. I kind of have a feeling that when it was creating new processes and what have you, it may have been, may have been creating duplicates hmm. that were conflicting with one another. Weird. I don't know. I don't really know enough about it to say, but yeah, I just that kind of kind of seemed to be what was going on. And when I got rid of that extra layer there, because all of the all of the calls that I'm using are pretty much it's pretty much identical to what the wrapper was doing it's just without that little wrapper layer there that cleans up the syntax hmm. i wonder if there's a um i wonder if gems execute in their own memory space or something like the fact that you have it in the actual script that is getting called yeah i don't know i don't i don't know enough about about memory management hmm. to to really have a have an opinion on it it's, wow that's interesting it's, though yeah it is it's, it's it was interesting but that seems to have taken care of the issue and the avalio chatbot has been connected and stable well, you know for well since five o'clock this morning and um after after i got that working i just i wrote up another little script to just kind of demonize the process using the ruby demons gem nice so you, know, you can, can start stop restart it you know, from the command line now and what have you, and you don't have to fool, have to fool with. Um, back when I was developing, I was just using screen to just you know, toss it in the background, and you don't have to fool with that now. And one of the bonuses of using the Demons gem is that you can actually monitor the process with Monit, and that way if the, if the service dies, it can automatically restart itself. Cool beans. That's awesome. So when when I dropped off last night, we were sort of chasing to, well, really sort of thinking that there was an issue with the dot in the account name for the GTalk account. Did that turn out to be a red herring? Uh, I think it did. But, well, I don't know. I guess yes and no. Uh, once, I, once I switched to just using XMPP4R, it was not a problem at all. Uh -huh. But... I know with my own GTalk account, I had to remove the dot before I could even authenticate to Jabber from, from within Ruby. Mm -hmm. So, whereas, you know, whereas with, uh, with the Valeo chat, once I got it all working, the dot didn't matter. So I don't know. I'm figuring that, that, that secondary Google account that I have is so old. There, there must be something a little bit different there between the two. Like some kind of legacy behavior. Yeah, I, that was yesterday. I was really surprised to learn that uh, if you have a dot in your Gmail login name, it's optional. Yeah, it's completely optional. That is bizarre. And you can move it around. You can put it anywhere you want. I mean, that's a, that's actually a nice feature, but it's really weird. Yeah. You were like, oh, the dot's optional. I was like, no way. <laughs> and sure as, sure as shooting, uh, I tried it on a couple of different accounts, and it totally works. So weird. Yeah, I remember reading something about that uh, probably been a couple of years ago. So it's it's been around for I, I guess it's always been 
optional. Mm, interesting. So interesting and so exciting to have um, to have a variety of different clients talking to the API in completely different ways and completely different user contexts. Uh, and so I'm super excited that you get that working. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's been a lot of fun. It there is, was, there it were times is. last night that were frustrating, but the whole right. the whole experience has been a lot of fun. I just love it, uh, and I I can see like this experience. I think will make it a lot easier to to implement these kinds of clients for much more complicated APIs. Like this is the simplest possible API I can imagine. Yeah, this is this is the simplest starting point we could have could have picked. Yeah, it's like our API hello world. Yeah, I'd be very interested as time goes on to work through um, tracking the, you know, a, sort of a unified way to track the different uh, access, because obviously something like Google Analytics is, does not apply because we've got clients that are not HTML clients. So it'll be interesting to track the traffic to the API and sort of break it down in a like a pie chart of where people are coming from and where most searches come from or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we're definitely gonna have to build in some integrate some kind of tracking at the API level. Yeah. We'll probably end up having to build something custom for that, which will, you know, just another fun project in and of itself. It'll be really interesting to do. Mm -hmm. I've kinda over the last couple of years I've kind of kind of become a data addict. Yeah. Yeah, me too, big time. So I think that I think that in the future I'm looking forward to abstracting the uh, and sort of standardizing on a, an instant message client uh, approach for all of our APIs. Least, yeah, I'm sure there are ones that wouldn't make sense, but uh, I, in general, I'd like to for the ones that do make sense. Um, have like a sort of standard way that we can drop that in potentially even open source that so that other people can drop it in for their APIs to create an instant message client. Um, and same with the SMS. I mean, really it's, it's really right. all, all Twilio over there, but it's like, there's so little to do. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never written a Ruby gem before and I can, I can see myself heading in that direction. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Interesting. Very, very cool. So I'm super excited about that. And the, um, and just SMS in general, how easy it is to to integrate with an API. It it just opens up the door to so many possibilities and such a massive global uh, reach, a massive market, and the potential to affect so many people. It's just like super exciting. Yeah, it is. I I want to build all kinds of things now. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm like re excited. I want to build command line over SMS applications. <laughs> yeah, I want to be able to write source, you know, write programs over SMS. <laughs> Bill actually code over SMS. Yeah. <laughs> nice. We'll, we'll create VI. <laughs> so very cool. I guess that, so I, I think that a lot of that kind of falls into the bug report territory, uh, our weekly series on bugs we tried to squish. Um, your solution there being just rip the source out of uh, easy GTalk client gem and, and pop it into the actual code of the client. So that was... That was a bold move. I'm glad it worked. Yeah. yeah, I wish I'd done it a lot sooner. My my big takeaway from that was don't try and use libraries that are just wrappers for other libraries. Mm. <laughs> just just go ahead and use the the other library. Right. And you know, maybe it's maybe it's a little bit more complicated to begin with, but you end up with something that's I guess a lot more 
a lot less prone to error. <laughs> yep. Or at least you can maybe more of a chance of debugging it. You know, you can you can mess around with stuff in the code. Yeah, yeah. And once I once I stopped looking at the little wrapper and started digging into the actual code, it just it all became so much more clear to me just instantly mm. as to how this was all working. Cool. How are you doing the loop? So the 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 event loop that sits there and listens because you were using what event machine was it called? Uh, I was using event machine. I I am not now. So what does it uh, like? What does it do? Is it just are you just having it like like while true type of thing? <laughs> when I started, I was doing a just a a, a while true loop, mm -hmm. and I ended up the first message I sent, I got caught in an infinite loop, and <laughs> ended up spamming. Um, <laughs> Google Talk server and got myself banned for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so then I switched to event machine just to kind of keep the process active nice. and event machine. You can use it for clients, but it's really designed for running, managing and running servers. Mm -hmm. So it, it was working, but it didn't feel like the, the most, the best solution there. And I feel like that may have been part of the problem we were having with asynchronous requests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it reminds me to mention a sort of meta topic, which I don't know if you noticed, but I added uh, discuss to the podcast blog. Yeah, I saw that. And if anybody is listening and understands why a gem might behave differently than the source code pasted into the main document or multi-threading or any of this and knows more about it, then please leave comments because uh, I would love to... I'd love to know the answers to these things, but when it comes down to, you know, day-to-day -day shipping stuff, it's, there are so many things that you just like, you know, like you did, it's like, it's fixed. I don't know how, but it works. So yeah, it's, it's on my list of things I want to look into in the future when I have time. Yeah. That mythical day in the future when you're sitting yeah. around doing nothing. Um, so let's see. Also we've, we've updated Margo. Oh yeah, we did that. There are a bunch of things about the about the niche site itself. Um, I did finally take away the rainbow animation behind the the header logo, because it was just like, it was just not working in a million places. It was too, it was too. You know, cobbler's kids have no shoes for me, so I finally just took it off until we could figure out how to make it work everywhere. Yeah. So that was one thing. Uh, the other thing I mentioned already, which is that uh, added. Uh, discuss for comments which was really easy and pretty nice i thought yeah the discuss integration is pretty simple straightforward yeah as long as you don't want to mess with the styling too much um it uh it basically except it, it inherited uh virtually all of our css has a nice mobile look and feel it's i was really impressed um what was it oh and then and then margo itself like the actual right. the actual we're using uh, this like little markdown uh, sort of blogging with static markdown files. I don't even want to call it a framework, but it's this little thing we put together uh, so that we could just write markdown files and have them be up. So what we changed a couple of things, actually, I guess the dates, what else do we do? I guess date is the big one. Yeah, there was something else, but I don't remember what it is now. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it. I mean, dates dates are not something that are natively supported as as a thing in Markdown. Yeah. So, um, and neither are titles really. I mean, there's headings, but uh, so we basically just said the first line is the title, 
the second line is going to be the you know equal signs to indicate that it's the header and then the next line is going to be a date and look like you set it up to accept various formats yeah it'll take any any valid any any date format that's that's valid in php yeah so that's pretty flexible i've done that before too so that's cool because initially um, we were using the the file modified time right yeah initially we were using the file time and unfortunately you can't get a create time you just have to go with last modified so if you end up editing a post then it can get it you know out of out of order and yeah. it messes up the you know, messed up the publishing time in the rss feed and right and all that good stuff so yeah so and and even just moving the files to a different server it was uh, i'm not sure if that's what did it but right around the time i did that I noticed that the dates were screwed up. It could be that I also edited them or, but it was just too, it was too, it's too easy to screw up your modification time on the file. So I had to explicitly yeah. put the dates in there. So that was, uh, that was cool. I know there was another, there was one other thing. Oh, it was the audio tag, right? So um, before uh, I was just linking to a download for the audio files mm -hmm. and you had done a proof of concept with, um, uh, like a flash player, I guess. It yeah. Was. Yeah. I was using a little flash player. Yeah. And I had, I, I got that proof of concept from you and I went to slap it in there. I had some problem. I can't remember what, but I think it had to do with the fact that the files were hosted on S3 and the site wasn't. Oh yeah. Cause um, flash has cross some cross site scripting restrictions similar to javascript right so i and i was like starting cross, to read cross the, domain yeah yeah and i was like oh i, I have to put like cross domain.xml on the s3 somewhere I'm like i don't know if that's gonna work and it's some setting i google around a little bit and i was it just looked like a rat's nest mm. and uh i suddenly I, I had never embedded i've embedded video before like youtube videos and stuff and that's you just copy and paste the code it's it's kind of messy but it's really easy and this was like i was like oh my god you gotta be kidding me like the first time i you know i go to embed audio and i've heard i've read it a million times like embedding audio and video should be easier in html and i'm never really worried about it because i haven't had the problem but man when i went to put this in i was like you gotta be kidding me it should be as easy as an image you know yeah like, it should be right you know but it sure isn't so then that exact thought i was like oh why don't i just use the audio tag you know so we figure, you know, we're supposed to be all shiny new HTML5 folks. Yeah. So let me just use the audio tag um, with, uh, with then leave the download link. So you either have support for the audio tag or you don't. And if you don't, you can just download it. Right. So that felt like a nice fallback for me, um, to me. And as I tested it on various devices, the audio tag worked in a shockingly high number of places. Yeah, actually, I have a question for you about that. Mm -hmm. Is the audio tag supposed to work in Firefox? Because I get a I get a brief flash of it for like half a second, and then it disappears, and there's no no way for me to play the audio in Firefox. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I I would be. I, I was really surprised that it didn't. Yeah, you'd think it would, and if and that it doesn't makes me think that the standards not agree on or something. Mm -hmm. Because they are usually pretty proactive about that kind of thing. You don't. I suppose you're using the very most latest version of Firefox. I've, mine says. Yeah. Uh, oh, mine says downloading an update. Um, but 
a couple so a couple of interesting things about the audio tag uh it worked great on ios which that was one of the things i was concerned with about the um the flash plugin which it wasn't going to work on ios so then there's going to have to be some kind of fallback for that uh, but the audio tag works fantastic uh, it gives a great little uh, great little experience uh, on the phone uh, works great in android did not work on Google TV, and frustratingly, neither does the download. So the download works. It downloads the file, but you can't play. I think I'm using a M4A files. You can't play mm -hmm. an M4A on a Google TV. So that's annoying. Uh, or maybe I just need to. I need a, a player that handles them. I could actually. I should try that. I could probably install a player that would handle that file format. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but definitely that was a little bit of a surprise because the TVs in general are pretty good at handling media formats, as you might imagine. Well, yeah, you would you would think they would be. So that's that is a little bit of a little bit of a surprise. Right. So we'll have to look into that for Firefox. Um, the but again, the fallback is there so that they could download the file if they wanted to just download it to their computer. Yeah, and play it. yeah I've just been downloading it. Just seemed kind of seemed very strange to me that it wasn't supported. Yeah, very odd. Uh, I I wonder if it's oh you know what I bet it is, it's probably the the file format because it's starting to load it. It looks like it's starting to load it, and then it's like oh I can't I don't have a codec for that. Oh yeah, that might be it. I'll bet you that's what it is because it's probably supposed to be Augtheora for um, or MP3 or or MP3 right. I wonder why. So I'm not an expert with audio files at all, which is kind of embarrassing considering I'm a musician. <laughs> But uh, uh, I don't recall consciously choosing M4A, and I don't know why I did. There must be some reason, but I don't remember what it was. Um, so maybe if I... I don't know. I don't know what the difference is. I, I think it's high. I think it's the. Uh, I think it's higher quality. But I might be wrong about that. I might have just read some Apple propaganda that said you should use our proprietary format, uh, which potentially would solve a lot of problems. If I switched over to MP3 at, and didn't lose like a ton of quality, then maybe that'd be the way to go. Yeah, yeah. That would it seems like that would get a lot more, you know, a lot more compatibility across different platforms on here because I, I don't know that. I don't know that Windows is going to play M4A unless you have something like uh, VLC or I guess maybe iTunes mm -hmm. for Windows. But right. yeah, I know I don't think there's going to be a native Windows player that supports M4A. Right. That's probably what the problem is. So I should go back and, and change that. This is like this is another one of those reasons why I haven't really pimped the podcast very much mm -hmm. uh, because you know. Th that would mean changing the links. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's. I wouldn't be changing the links to the podcast page itself, but the episode page. But it would be changing the link to the source file, which I guess isn't the worst thing in the world. No, it's. it's... You no, know, unless until we're like in iTunes or something, it's probably not an issue. Right. Maybe that was why you went with M4A. Maybe it was thinking about future iTunes. Yes. I think that is Usage. what it was. I think that is, as a matter of fact, I was reading, because I do want to be in iTunes. Um, I like the experience, uh, the way it works. So mm -hmm. just a little bit, a little bit of, uh, um, 
I don't know. I don't know. I just, I'm a huge podcast fan. I listen to them through iTunes and I just want to be in there too, which is kind of like my, the reverse feeling I have for apps. Uh, but <laughs> I, I guess there is a difference, which is that MP3s aren't MP3s or whatever. Audio files aren't uh, only iOS, which is the thing, the walled garden thing that bothers me about the whole app world. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm going to, I'll do a, quick test and see if mp3s show up in firefox um and i do believe there is a i know there's a multi-source format uh for video and i presume there's one for audio as well uh, where you actually include your source you include the sources as tags inside of the audio tag instead of as an attribute of the audio tag mm. so um probably and I've I've seen that before. I don't know how the support is right now. So probably that would be that would be another way to leave the uh, M4A files and just additionally have MP3 files and have people right. be able to browser pick whichever one they, they liked. Interesting. So many things to think about. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's been a busy week. Yeah, we haven't we haven't even gotten into all of the. <laughs> I don't. The only other thing. I guess major thing that we've done this week, and I don't really know that there's that much to talk about it anyway, is all of the the SQL queries on the large data sets and what have you. But oh, and the actually, that may have been last week. Now that I think about it, my I've been up too long. My days are starting to run again. <laughs> well, there's also the calendar hell. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that there's anything really to talk about. No, I, I don't think there's a lot to say about it other than to just I don't know, maybe complain for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so so two uh, client projects are we're working on, and one of them has a sort of very interesting and custom calendar component that I guess we can't really go into, but um, has lots of events that are not only repeating but interdependent in a way that is that for which I've seen no precedent. So like changing one event has to change another event, but they're not repeats of each other. They're like inverse of each other. Uh, it's a little bit like resource allocation, but I guess it's very similar to resource allocation. Yeah. Uh, so maybe maybe we could do some research in that direction, but it's a bear, let me tell you. And we're just designing it. We haven't even, we're not even doing the implementation yet. We're just trying to decide how to do it without creating, you know, well, we know how we could do it, but it's going to end up creating a hundred million records you know, yeah. if, if the app takes off. So we have to be a little bit careful about how we decide to implement it. Uh, and then the, there was a, actually, yeah, that's a story for another time. There's another interesting piece about that uh, calendar display that I created for the mock-up. It uses multiple background images and gradients to create the checkerboard pattern, but we can talk about that in another show. Uh, and then the other thing was these like SQL queries on large data sets for reporting on uh, on an API that you built, which probably was six months ago, maybe. Mm, longer than that, it's I think it went live last August. Really? Yeah, so it's almost a year old. Wow. Yeah. So should can you just build this simple API? <laughs> So my, my first API, we did it in PHP, which means we yeah. really only have Git and Post. Right. With CodeIgniter, right? Yeah, I use CodeIgniter. I mean, it's fine, but... Uh, Works fine. 
Yeah, it was. It's not how I would do it now. Yeah, agreed. Um, I would this time around. I would do the documentation first, <laughs> and I would use pure REST principles, and yes. I would use Sinatra, and uh, but to our credit, we did um, host it on Amazon Web Services. Conv yes, we did. Convince the client to not host it themselves, which uh, was really nice. Um, the other day because traffic has really dramatically increased to the server and we were like and the cpu was like pegged at 100 fully half the time around the clock it was just like slowing down and you know people were seeing slowdowns uh the administrative interface that allows the customer service reps to look at the information uh was was bogging down uh so i just totally upgraded the from the the, the tier we were on to the next tier up in AWS. And I mean, if it took, if it took five minutes, four minutes and 45 seconds was creating a, a snapshot to make sure I had a backup and 30 seconds to upgrade to the next tier. Absolutely no, no unreasonable interruption. I mean, I had to stop the server to do it, but like I said, it was like five minutes in the middle of the night on a Sunday. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it went really smoothly. It might have been the smoothest server associated thing I've ever done. I was like, I was actually like that. It was one of those like that was too easy, you know. What what went wrong? Yeah, what didn't I catch? I was like testing it. I'm like looking at the. I'm like, I was like, I set my alarm to get up early in case you know, because Monday is actually a pretty busy day for the application that accesses the API. And yeah. I was afraid, you know, I was afraid of the worst, but I'm telling you that thing, knock on wood, that thing just like upgraded. <laughs> yeah. And then I went in there and started doing the, the statistics gathering queries. And I mean, it's, it slowed it down a little bit just because I was through, I was chewing through like a million and a half records mm. several times over, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's still, it, it just, it just kept on going. CPU usage never went above. 40% and the query was done in just like a, a reasonable amount of time. And... Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, looking at the stats now after the, the, the past couple of days there, we're still hovering around 50 and going, we're not hitting 100%, but we're getting close. I, I can imagine, I'm relatively confident that we will have to upgrade to another tier eventually. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was so easy and it's like, you know, I think at this new tier, we're paying like a dollar fifty a day at the current level of use. It's like nothing. Yes, I've I've noticed one thing Amazon is very good at, and it seems to be like equally true of their AWS services as it is on the Amazon website. Mm. Is they make it ridiculously easy for you to spend money. <laughs> yeah, I can see that again. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like you know, the 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 one click upgrades and the one click purchases and one click mp3 purchase and download and it's just it's it's ridiculously easy to just go in and, and click 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 and oh hey look i've, I've spent two hundred dollars <laughs> yeah. yeah totally i, I, I so, know that you know congratulations to them i guess that's mm -hmm. that's what they're in the business for yeah so i i really it's it's definitely true but man compared to like uh i mean from a cost standpoint like something like rackspace is it's... Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you you get the quality for it. They've just they've just done a really good job of streamlining streamlining everything. Yeah, it's amazing, and it's still way cheaper than the, than what they're disrupting. So, I guess 
we're like i am i am rambling today hopefully it's not uh hopefully <laughs> you it's should not, do some editing yeah i might have to we're over an hour it's all good stuff though today i i, I feel like it's fun stuff but maybe when i go back through i'll be like oh my god <laughs> that was impenetrable <laughs> um all right was there anything else you wanted to squeeze in or anything i forgot oh oh uh, i i, I almost forgot to say happy birthday oh thank you which was monday to sunday Sunday on Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, double whammy. Yeah. Double whammy. So, so you should have a fun present in the mail. I was hoping it would get there by today, but oh, uh, really? Thank yes. you. I'll have to. I haven't checked the mail yet today. So. Yes. Well, we'll know next week when we've listened to the podcast whether or not you received it. <laughs> <laughs> our listener will thank you. So that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye-bye.